Luke chapter 15. We'll be looking again at verses 11 through 32. Uh, We took a week off last week uh, while Stephanie and I and our children were at General Assembly. Uh, We had Bradford here uh, preaching on Psalm 111. Um, And now we're going to return back to Luke chapter 15 and our second week of looking at the uh, commonly called the parable of the prodigal son. We're looking at, uh, looking at it this morning as the lost sons, plural. So let's read together verses uh, 11 through 32 of Luke chapter 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he, he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything." And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, These many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. Will you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen.
Well, as I mentioned earlier last week, uh, Stephanie and I were at General Assembly. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Presbyterian polity, uh, we are governed um, uh, by our session, which is our group of elders. Uh, above the session is the group of sessions in this area called the Presbytery. We are in Covenant Presbytery, which includes all of Arkansas, uh, Memphis area, and northern Mississippi, and uh, just a couple of churches in uh, Missouri as well. It's a big presbytery. And then also above the presbytery, the group of presbyteries is called the General Assembly. Once a year, um, all the ruling elders and teaching elders, or at least the majority of them, enough to form a quorum, according to Robert's rules, uh, comes together in a particular place to discuss the business of the church. So this past week, we were in Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, near Lookout Mountain. It is beautiful there. Uh, That's where our college is for the the PCA, Covenant College. And uh, we had a great time there meeting some old friends, some buddies from seminary, um, uh, uh, previous people that I've served with and things like that. Um, I will give a a more thorough report in the newsletter, but in general, our denomination is doing well. Uh, God has blessed the PCA Uh, Thankfully, we did not have many theological controversies to discuss, so in that regard, no news is good news. Uh, God is keeping us grounded and faithful uh, to the scriptures, uh, faithful to the Great Commission. So uh, one of the things that was discussed uh, in depth uh, is repenting of our racism. Uh, That was one of the major issues that was discussed. Obviously, race relations has been a very hot topic in our nation uh, with events that have gone on in Ferguson, in New Jersey, and honestly, most recently in Charleston. Um, It is something that our our country is struggling with right now. And uh, one of the things that was brought up before the assembly is a resolution to repent of not our overt racism, but of the things that we have not done uh, as a, a church in large. Um, During the uh, debate and discussion over this topic, uh, one of the founders of the PCA stood up. Um, Back in the day, in the early 70s, 1973, uh, the PCA was formed basically uh, from 12 men, six ruling elders and six teaching elders. Uh, Two of those men are still alive today, and one of them, his name is Jim Baird. And uh, during this discussion and this debate, uh, he stood up in the assembly and personally repented of his own sins. That was huge. Uh, There are over a thousand pastors and elders in this assembly. And for one man to get up and to repent in front of this large crowd of his own personal sins um, was a very moving moment in the assembly. Uh, It led others to repent of their own personal sins as well, and it led to an hour of prayer by the entire assembly. Um, It was a a very moving moment for those who were there. Um, As I was studying this this parable again this past week, I myself was personally convicted of my own sins, of being the elder brother. And so as we go through this passage this morning, uh, I felt personally convicted to share, uh, in a sense, what Jim Baer did this past week. Uh, to invite you into my own struggles, and if you can relate, which I'm, 
uh, assuming many can, um, to invite you into that. So this is a very familiar parable that we are looking at this morning, the parable of the prodigal son. And we need to remember the scenario that Jesus is speaking into here. So he's having a party. He is with tax collectors and sinners, as he often is, and the Pharisees are giving him a hard time. Why are you spending time with these people? Verses 1 through 3 of 15 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. And so he told them this parable. And we talked about the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and now the parable of the lost sons. And what he's doing in these parables is he's speaking directly to the Pharisees. They are accusing him of acting in a way that is unbecoming of a follower of God. Little do they understand that this is actually God in the flesh. So Jesus tells these two parables, these three parables, to reveal the heart of God to those who are lost. And he ends with the parable of the prodigal son, uh, not only to show them the heart of God, but to give the Pharisees also a stinging rebuke. So in this parable, what he is saying to the Pharisees, he's saying, not only are you in the same boat as these sinners that you are accusing me of spending my time with, but you're actually in a worse position than they because you do not realize the dire situation that you are in. So we are calling this the parable of the lost sons, Because Jesus is showing the Pharisees that there is actually two ways, two ways that we can alienate ourselves from God the Father. One is like the younger brother, through radical rejection of God, turning our back on him. But the other way that we see is through radical obedience, like the older brother, radical obedience to God. See, both sons are alienating themselves from a relationship with their father. One realizes it, the younger brother, and he repents. The other does not realize it, and as we said before, is actually in a more dire situation than those who do realize it and repent. So let's have a recap here of, of what the younger brother does. So the man had two sons. The younger brother basically comes to the father and he says, I don't want a relationship with you. In fact, I wish that you were dead, and I wish that I had your stuff and not you. So he says, give me what is coming to me. And the father obliges. He gives him his share. He, the, the younger son goes off to a far country. He squanders it. Famine hits. He's starving. The only job he can get is slopping pigs. And he longs to fill his stomach with the slop that he is feeding to the pigs. So he has this revelation, this light bulb goes off in his mind. He realizes that he has sinned against heaven and he has sinned against his father and he wants to go home. He has this spiel that he comes up with that he is going to present to his dad and he is going to say, I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he goes home and as he does, the father runs to him. He lifts up the robe that he is wearing, and he runs. He doesn't let his son finish the speech that he has prepared. In a, in what he does is he calls the servants, and he throws a party because the son was lost, 
and he is found again. But that brings us to the older brother. So the older brother is working hard in the fields. He is being diligent. He is doing what he does day in and day out, very faithfully. And as he comes in from the field, he hears that there is a party going on. The Bible says that he hears music and he hears dancing. This must be a pretty raucous party if he can actually hear the dancing. Um, But he comes in and he asks, what is going on? And when he hears that the dad is throwing a party for this younger brother, the older brother loses it. He flies completely off the handle. Can you imagine his reaction? He refuses, he absolutely refuses to go into the party. So the dad has to swallow his pride, go outside the party, and the Bible says that to entreat him, to lovingly go to him and, um, and ask him to come in to the party. But as we, we see, the older brother is just livid. He is so upset. And he yells at his father. He says, after all he's done, you throw him a party? Basically, he's saying, what about me? I have served you all the days of my life, and you have never done one thing. I have obeyed you perfectly, and what do I get? Nothing. The father shows a tremendous amount of restraint, of compassion, and mercy to his son. And he says, son, you're always with me. And all that I have is yours. He says, I can't help but rejoice. My son was lost, and he is found. He was dead, and he is alive again. So what is the deal with this older brother? What is his issue? Well, the issue that he presents with is that he doesn't get what is coming to him. But the real issue behind what is going on is that the older brother has no real relationship with the father because he has no love for his father. You know, it appears as if this older brother is doing everything right. He obeys his father perfectly. He has a great reputation. He's well-respected in the community. He is a hard worker. He is praised by others. He is the good son. But every day he works diligently and faithfully for his father. He does exactly what he is supposed to do every single day. He is extremely faithful and he's proud of it. But in reality, in a grand stroke of irony, he has not worked a day in his life for his father. In reality... The older brother is so self-centered that all the work that he is doing is actually for himself. In his view, his relationship with his father is based on performance. What he believes is, is if I perform for you, then you are obligated to give me what I feel like I deserve. Because of what I have done for you, You owe me. That's his thoughts. 
through his action, the older brother is trying to control the father. He's trying to manipulate the father to get what he selfishly wants for himself. By doing all the right things, the older brother is manipulating the father for his own personal gain. Just like the younger brother, he actually doesn't want the father. He wants the father's stuff. He wants what the father can offer to him. He attempts to use obedience and hard work to get what he wants. In reality, the older brother doesn't have love for the father. He obeys the father, but he does it out of joyless duty. That's it. And this is the rebuke that that Jesus has for the Pharisees. Jesus is telling the Pharisees that they have no love for their father in heaven and no real relationship with him. Instead, they're simply performing their joyless duties. We know the laws that they have put in place. All these things that they are required to do um, as, uh, as followers of God. But they are using these things in order to manipulate God and to get what they want. They're self-centered, they're prideful, focusing only on outward appearance rather than what is actually important. And what I realized as I was reading through this and preparing for this, that that's me. I realized that that is me. I'm the older brother. If Jesus was telling this parable to us, that is the person that I would relate to. Let me give you a personal example of what I'm talking about here. I'm a morning person. I love my mornings. Um, I usually get up early before my family so that uh, I can have that time to myself and to to spend it with the Lord. Uh, But I'm realizing more and more that the time that I spend in devotion or quiet time or personal time with the Lord, whatever you want to call it, that time that I spend in the morning is usually done out of a sense of duty rather than a sense of love for God. Because when I am diligent in reading my Bible, in journaling, or in prayer, I expect, without even saying it, but in my heart, I feel that because I have done this, God deserves to give me a good day. I feel that in my heart. I don't say it out loud, but I feel it. So I think that a good, quiet time with the Lord translates into a blessed day. What usually happens is that within minutes, usually a baby crying or something going wrong, everything falls apart, and I get angry, literally angry, because I feel, God, I've spent this time with you in the morning, therefore, my day should be blessed. And then I think, what's the point of getting up early to read my Bible and pray if this is how my day is going to be? And here is my sin in that. I feel convicted because my quiet time becomes a joyless duty where I feel like God owes me for the time that I have put in. It's my way to manipulate God into doing what I want Him to do, and that is to give me blessings. I want Him to bless me for what I have done. And in reality, you can replace my quiet time with anything, with family devotions, with preaching a sermon, with 
with prayer at any time, with acts of service, with anything. Often we use these things, and I use these things, to manipulate God into doing what we want Him to do. But God will not be manipulated by our mere duty. So today is Father's Day. So dads, let me talk to you for a second. Um, And let me talk to you in regards to your wives. So as a husband, imagine you do this. You bring your uh, your wife flowers every single day. At the end of the day, you give her a foot massage. You treat her like the queen that she is. You go over and above and beyond uh, to treat her as she wants to be treated. And imagine her asking you the question, Honey, why are you doing all these things for me? And your response goes like this, Because I want you to do something for me in return. How would she respond? How do you think she would feel? That's manipulative. That's not why she wants you to do these things. Imagine if your response was instead, Honey, I do these things because I love you and it is my joy to serve you. You can imagine how different the response would be. The same is true with God. He will not be manipulated by our mere duty. The reason why we teach Sunday school, while we serve on committees, while we serve as an elder or a deacon or an usher or teach VBS or even come to church on a Sunday morning should not simply because we want God to do something for us in return. Now, is there a place for duty? Of course, there is. Because there are times in a marriage when all you have to offer is your duty. The feelings are not always there. Your heart is not always in it but you should remember your marriage vows and fulfill your promises to your spouse. And the same is true in our relationship with the Lord. But if all we ever have to offer is our mere duty, we have missed it because God longs for our affections. He longs for our hearts. He longs for us to do things because we love him and it is our joy and our pleasure to serve him. So I get it in my head that if I act the way that I do, God is in my debt, and therefore he owes me. But in reality, the problem goes even deeper than this. Tim Keller has written a book called The Prodigal God on this parable, and this is a passage from this book. He says, in the same way, religious people commonly live moral lives, but their goal is to get leverage over God, to control him, to put him in a position where they think He owes them. Therefore, despite all their ethical fastidiousness and piety, they are actually in rebellion against his authority. If, like the elder brother, you believe that God ought to bless you and help you because you have worked so hard to obey him and be a good person, then Jesus may be your helper, your example, and even your inspiration, but he is not your savior. You are serving as your own Savior. Did you catch that? If we act like the older brother, we are denying the fact that Christ is our Savior because we have put our own selves in his place. The spiritual pride that the older brother displays is very serious. 
Ultimately, we are rejecting the Father and we are rejecting, the, and we are rejecting Christ when we display spiritual pride. And I believe that spiritual pride is so easy for me to fall into. At the end of the parable, we get to the end of the story and the older brother is left outside the feast while the younger brother is inside rejoicing. Jesus cuts the parable short. We don't know what happens to the older brother. We do know what happens to the younger brother. In his humility, he lets everything go. He confesses his sins so that he can have a restored relationship with the Father. 1 John 1 verses 8 through 10 says this, If we have no sin, we de- if we say we have no sin, like the older brother, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, like the younger brother, he is faithful and true just to forgive us and our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You know, one of the greatest characters in this parable that Jesus tells is the Father. And uh, it is a, um, it's amazing how when you plan out sermon series, how things work out. The fact that we were able to look at the story of the parable uh, of the prodigal son on Father's Day. Because the father in this story has such a, a, such a beautiful role to play. The Father is such an amazing character. He has so much love for His sons, and it shows itself by what He was willing to endure for the sake of His sons. He endured so much embarrassment and shame in order to show love for His two boys. You know, the younger brother demanded the inheritance, and he left home. Imagine all the things that were said behind the father's back about this son. Imagine the embarrassment, the shame that was poured on him because of this son. When his son returned, he ran to meet him, something that patriarchs simply did not do because it was embarrassing. The older, the more dignified you were, the more slower that you walked. Not only that, but he restores his son to full sonship. He throws a party for him, not hiding what his son had done, but forgiving it very publicly. And then he has to remove himself from the party, remove himself in his position as host to go out and speak to his older son, who refuses to come into the party. It's embarrassing for the host of the party to have to do that. Both of his sons deny him, but he does not reject either of them. Instead, he loves them through it all. The younger son he restores, and the older son he lovingly entreats to come to him. So dads, let me entreat you to take a page out of this father's playbook in your own families. Isn't it simply amazing how this father loves his sons? He doesn't love the younger brother because he squandered all his money. He loves him because though his son was dead, he is now alive. 
He loves his son because he has his son back. He doesn't love the older brother because he performs all the duties that he asks. He loves him because he is simply his son. Now, I am not the perfect father by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, But one of the things that I am learning is this, that I should not love my children because of the ways that they perform for me. I should not love my children because they're the best baseball players around, because they get good grades, because they obey me perfectly and uh, without question. Instead, I love my kids because they're my kids. And I pray to God that they know that. I had a great moment with one of my children yesterday. Uh, He came up into my office, and uh, as I was working on this sermon in the afternoon, all the other kids were uh, were at rest, and uh, I was working on this part of the sermon. And uh, he climbed up in my lap, and I said, Son, I love you. And he said, I love you too, Daddy. And I gave him a kiss. And then I just wanted to see. I said, Do you know why I love you? And he said, yeah. <laughs> he, says, because I'm, he said, because I'm yours. And I hope and pray that all of my children always know that. That it's not because of what they do or how they perform, but I love them simply because they're my children. The same is true in our relationship with God. He loves us not because we can perform like the older brother, not because of our faithfulness. He loves us because we're his. He loves us because we are his children. And that is great for us to remember on this Father's Day as we seek to love our children like the Father loves us. I know it's really hard when they pitch fits, when they disobey, when they don't do what, they, what we ask them to do, but it kind of sounds like us in our relationship with our Heavenly Father, doesn't it? And through it all, He loves us to the end. So what does God call us as fathers to do? He calls us to reflect the love of Him, our own Heavenly Father, down to our children to tell them that we love them, and to show it. So dads, the best thing that you can do for your kids is this, is to love God, and to love Him with all your heart, and reflect that love down to your children. This great love that knew even our best, older brother obedience, could never be enough to atone for our sins. This great love that God has for us, that knew that the only way that we would be able to be restored into a relationship with Him, that was through Him taking on our shame, Him taking on embarrassment and humiliation through the sacrifice of His Son on the cross. This is the kind of love that God has shown to us in Christ. So through this parable, we are called to come to the Father. This amazing, loving, and merciful Father 
to come and to confess our sins. Whether you've been a younger brother and running from God, or whether you've been an older brother and simply performing for God, come and bask in the mercy and in the grace of our great God and Father, who is lavish with His love, who is free. Know the great love that God has for you, His sons. Come and enjoy the feast that He has provided. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, Lord, we are so grateful to You that we can call You Father. That despite being like the younger brother and running from You, You run to us and You restore us. That despite us trying to earn our way to You, and placing you in our debt to manipulate you to get what you want, to get what we want, excuse me. Lord, you still love us and pour out your grace and your mercy on us. Father, I pray that we would have a humble heart like the younger brother, that we would come to realize that even in our perceived righteousness, that we are humble, that we are not worthy to be called your sons, but that because of your great love and mercy shown to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, you have redeemed us and restored us into relationship with you. And because of this, we thank you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen.